this will be Oberst. Uh, Miter, I'm going to, uh, host, uh, with, uh, Frank Oaken of NSF. Uh, Frank is going to go through, uh, some slides of his to, uh, set the expectations and establish the agenda. Um, uh, before we start, though, uh, I want to let people know, especially the speakers, uh, that, uh, I'm going to be timing, uh, uh, the speaker's presentation simply because there's uh, a lot of material to get through and uh, many speakers and we want to also have time for discussion. For the individual speakers, uh, I'll let you know when there's three minutes left out of the 15 minutes, so at the 12-minute mark, and then when there's one minute left. Uh, and then uh, we'll have to put uh, questions off until the uh, last speaker has spoken, which is then an open discussion. Um, okay, welcome everyone. Uh, Frank, uh, you want to introduce your slides? Sure. Um, my slides are, can be found uh, off the uh, panel discussion page that says slides zero colon Olkin. And this is the panel discussion for the ontology registry and repository Technology and Infrastructure Landscape. Um, that was slide one. Slide two. Uh, so the motivation, there are two motivations for this teleconference. One is there is a open ontology repository initiative and the, the link to it is shown on the slide there. Uh, this is an effort to build, um, an open repository of, of ontologies. Um, and this effort is going on in parallel right now. And the second thing is there will be an, another ontology summit like the one last year that will be held at NIST um, in Gaithersburg on April 28th and 29th. And there's a whole process leading up to that. And that uh, summit will be entitled Toward an Open Ontology Repository. Uh, and there will be discussions going on at the Ontolog Forum and this uh, other mailing list, um, and it will culminate in a two-day face-to-face meeting. Um, and then our speakers this uh, afternoon, Bruce Barkmeyer is going to talk about the XMDR project at Lawrence Berkeley Lab and UC Berkeley. Uh, Mike Dean from Bolt, Brannock, and Newman will talk about the DAML Ontology Library. Uh, Mark Musen will talk about the National Center for Biomedical Ontologies, I think it is, Bioportal uh, Effort, and Farouk Najimi, Farouk Najimi, well, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, pronunciation of your last name. Uh, we'll talk about the OASIS uh, EBXML registry repository effort, uh, EBXML's uh, electronic business. And then we'll conclude by Peter Yim will be talking about infrastructure issues for open ontology community support. Um, so now on slide four. So for each ontology repository project, hopefully the speakers will address who is is hosting or organizing it or the standards body that's that's orchestrating this particular repository. What's the scope of the content of this repository? Uh, so the BioPortal is biomedical ontologies, some of them. EBXML is presumably more business-oriented ones, et cetera. Uh, what's the motivation for building this repository? Um, what's the represent, is there a commitment to a particular, 
Let's see, representation formalism, is it RDF or OWL or DAML, some other description logic, first-order logic, ICL or UML? Um, does the ontology repository ha include uh, mappings among the ontologies? And if so, what representation uh, formalism is being used for that? Uh, what's the current status and plans for the, the ontology repository? And hopefully they'll give us a URL for their uh, repository at the end or before somewhere. Um, and two last things I want to mention. On slide five, um, as part of this build-up to the Ontology Summit on repositories, um, I'm working on the Ontology Repository and Registry State-of-the-Art Survey. And on slide five, it will tell you where to send email uh, for to get information to me and to the other people involved in this so that we can add it to the uh, – we're going to have a web page with uh, discussion of, of uh, state-of-the-art uh, on this. And lastly, um, for those of you who are uh, U.S.-based academic researchers primarily, um, if people are not aware of it, NSF is funding uh, research on ontologies and ontology knowledge representation methodologies and other sorts of things. That's described on slide six briefly. And if you send me email, uh, I can give you more detailed pointers and, and discussion about this. And if you happen to be free the end of the second week, well, Thursday, February 16th, I'm running a panel on um, semantics-related proposals. And if you care to be a panelist and a reviewer, um, I'm looking for volunteers. And lastly, um, the slides and everything for the conference can be found at this uh, URL that I've listed here. So I think, uh, uh, Leo, do you have anything to say? Uh, Frank, just a uh, question. Um, the uh, panel is what date? Uh, let me just check to be sure. I believe it's April 16th. So it's the Thursday before. No, I take that back. It is um, uh, It's April 17th on a Thursday. Okay, thank you. It's it's scheduled so that there's one day between it and the first Passover Seder for people who want to make it back. Okay, great. Uh, okay, uh, no, I have nothing else to, to add. Um, so I guess uh, we can introduce our first speaker here. Uh, uh, we're we're basically going to go in the uh, order that's on the uh, agenda uh, for this telecon. And uh, our first speaker then is uh, uh, Bruce Bargmeier, uh, who we'll be talking about. He's the lead of the XMDR project, uh, the Extended Metadata Registry project. Bruce? Okay. Thank you, uh, Leo. Uh, everybody can hear me okay? Yeah, your sound. Your sound. Yep. It, what a check that I'm not talking to myself on mute somewhere. Uh, okay. If we go to uh, slide two. Um, these are the topics that Peter sent in his message saying to address. Uh, I think I'll also cover the things that Frank just mentioned, but I didn't have that list uh, earlier, uh, but I think it's all embedded. And so to describe the technology and infrastructure, uh, describe how it con contributes to the overall initiative, and how does this fit in with the rest of the things. Um, slide three, uh, 
what XMDR brings to the table, we have uh, use cases to many challenges and requirements. Uh, we've got proposed specifications for international standards, uh, ISO IC 11179. Uh, we're particularly aimed at the next edition. The current edition is edition two, and we're making proposals for edition three. Uh, we've got a prototype that has, uh, well, we've got a, a modular software architecture uh, that kind of lays out the functionality and uh, a variety of uh, tools that uh, might pop into the various modules. Um, we've got an open source XMDR software prototype, and we've got uh, test content. So let me just run through some challenges. If you go to XMDR.org, uh, there's use cases written up, um, and uh, these are, you know, either part of those or, or sometimes extensions. But this first slide, slide four, is kind of the big picture. We have concept systems. Uh, we want to connect the concepts and concept systems to the concepts and metadata. So down in the lower left-hand corner, uh, you've got metadata uh, that uh, describes some data that's uh, right above that. And so uh, we believe that the concepts from the concept system uh, relate to the concepts in the metadata, which relate to the concepts in the data. And it might relate in data uh, in many ways. It might be part of the data element name. It might be part of the data element definition. A concept might be a valid value. Uh, it might be a way of classifying a data element. There's just lots of ways that uh, you can interact between a concept system, metadata, and, and data. So, this is really the grounding of the 1179 efforts. We're, we're all about data and metadata, and we're bringing in uh, concept systems. And by concept system, I mean thesauri, taxonomies, keywords, glossaries, ontologies. Uh, we're kind of agnostic about uh, uh, what kind of uh, arrangement that you have your concepts in. Um, Here's another challenge on, on slide five. Um, here you might have a data in a database that has things like polyenol, anison, datril, that you might, might want to do a study about analgesic agents. But you won't be able to find analgesic agents in any of your databases, but by interacting with a concept system, uh, you can do uh, studies uh, for data that essentially is, is hidden. Uh, I think the group that I'm talking to, I don't have to explain some of these things in great detail. Almost every slide in this presentation explodes into a whole lot of other slides, um, but in 15 minutes I don't have time to uh, uh, explode into all the other slides. And unfortunately, you can't ask questions right now, so uh, hopefully I'm not racing ahead. Uh, slide six, um, we want to specify and compute across relations. Uh, it's a bit of an irony that relational databases just use relations to join tables. You don't really compute across relations. And so we're looking much more at relations between uh, concepts and uh, trying to specify those relations, trying to manage those relations, and, and so on, uh, because we believe that we want to compute across them in ways that we haven't done in the past. Next slide, uh, slide seven. Uh, this slide has been true since I started working, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, 
and we've got data from systems that record the same facts with different terms, and we just have to get over the thought that everybody's going to ever represent the things entirely the same. Um, we've got to deal with this diversity. So this is one of the challenges that 1179 has been addressing since day one, and uh, we just continue to look to new capabilities such as ontologies for helping us to resolve this problem. Uh, slide eight um, gets a little bit deeper into the notion of, of uh, recording the same facts with different terms, and here are a bunch of what you might think of as metadata registries. You've got the Dublin Core registry, uh, you've got software component registries, Oasis EDXML registries, uh, 1179 registries, and so on. And each of these um, registries may have the same facts. You might be in a different place. One place it might be a data element. One place it might be a, a table column. Another place it might be an XML tag or an XML uh, data element. Uh, but here we're looking at all of these relate to something called country identifier. So uh, one of the challenges is how do we deal with this common content that may be spread out across uh, several types of metadata registries. And our notion isn't that you make one metadata registry that uh, serves all uses for all people and all purposes, but rather somehow these things have to work uh, together. Next slide is slide nine. Uh, dives down one level deeper. Same fact, different uh, uh, terms. Uh, we have something called data element uh, concept. This might be uh, the ISO 3166 country codes. And at the data element concept level, you can think all of the different countries in the world. Um, but when you represent them as data elements, you've got a short English name, a short French name, you've got a two-character alpha, a three-character alpha, three-character numeric, and so on. And uh, when you say, I'm going to use ISO 3166, uh, you haven't committed to any of these particular uh, representations, any of these data elements. Uh, and we don't believe that we can force the whole world to use any one of these data elements. We believe that all of them are used. There's a justifiable prejudices for using any particular representation. So the important part is to be able to map back and forth so that if you, for example, do a distributed query that crosses some of those things that I had in the previous slide, maybe a government agency and a, and a university, and each of them has stored the data using these different uh, ways of representing the facts that you can pull out uh, a result and normalize it so that it's all stated in one way, say the, the short English name, no matter how it happens to be stored. Uh, so you, you need the information uh, to do this. Now, some folks will be thinking, oh yeah, extract, transform, load tools, those, those all do that. And my concern with ETL tools is that they tend to lock this kind of information away into some kind of a proprietary system that isn't available for general use. And so part of the argument for the metadata registry here is to have them in a place that all kinds of uh, uh, engines can run against it. Um, next one uh, is uh, drawing together information from a broad range of studies, and it's kind of the first slide of a series that uh, goes into extraction and the ways that uh, 11179 and so on can be used for extraction. 
and I don't have time to go into all of it, but uh, uh, it's, I think, uh, a big problem not only in defense but also in the civilian agencies uh, to go across uh, the extant data uh, and try to uh, find new results in old studies, kind of do the meta-study, uh, as, as well as just find the information that's there that... Uh, uh, there's some, you know, there's a billion dollars worth of EPA research spinning around on disks, but how can I find uh, the particular uh, report or the content that I'm looking for? So that's just a quick slide introduction for that. Data creation, uh, the slide 11, uh, getting a common understanding of uh, the meaning of data between creators and data users. And so this is where uh, documentation about data and provenance and that sort of stuff uh, comes in. But we also believe that uh, ontologies and concept systems uh, can be very uh, useful in this. And uh, this is a persistent problem. We find that the uh, people putting in the data often have an entirely different understanding of what they're putting in than the users uh, who are analyzing the data. Well, enough of, of that. I could go on. Um, so semantic challenges, slide 12, managing, harmonizing, and vetting semantics is important for traditional data management. And uh, while we think we've done great things in Roma 7.9 over the last 20 years, uh, we've just covered the basics, so there's a long way to go. Uh, and managing, harmonizing, and vetting semantics is essential to enable enterprise semantic computing, which I think is kind of the direction of the OOR effort. Uh, that you need to do more than create an ontology and put it up on the web somewhere. Uh, you really need to uh, harmonize and vet uh, the semantics that are in those things in a way that uh, organizations can manage it. Uh, next slide, uh, 13. Uh, this is kind of a, a dive off in the deep end, but I'll just quickly say that the blue and green slides are things signed in ISO IEC 11179, things like valid values and value domains, conceptual domains. And then the little thing called EVS is Enterprise Vocabulary Services. And I think this from Denise Wardell at the National Cancer Institute. I think it does a nice job of showing how vocabularies can be used in creating and managing uh, data elements. Uh, so um, uh, this is something that they did with addition two of one seven nine by some extensions and which we're trying to capture uh, pretty rigorously in addition three. Um, on to the XMDR prototype. Uh, let's see, how am I doing for time? Uh, uh, Bruce, you have three minutes. Three minutes? Okay, yeah. I'm going to have to go really fast then. Uh, so the XMDR prototype uh, does several things here, uh, registering concept systems, supporting harmonization, uh, providing semantic services, uh, and so on. What uh, slide number are we on? I'm on now on slide 15. Okay. So here are some uses, um, and basically uh, it helps us to do the harmonization and uh, vetting, uh, but it's still it's hard work. Uh, slide 16 is a architecture, and uh, essentially the blue uh, the things are things that we have implemented, and you can see what technology choices we've made. And the hashed green things are things we haven't yet implemented. Uh, and that's all written up on the, uh, 119, or on the XMDR.org uh, website. Um, and then we have a REST interface, um, 
or we can do sparkle searches and, and so on. Uh, we have uh, both a human user interface and a programming interface. And so the next couple of slides are just a, a, kind of the details about that. Then slide 19 covers a long pile of uh, content that we have loaded up to uh, help us kind of show that the specifications we're proposing for 1179 actually work and that the prototype can handle these. And so um, the next thing is that, uh, you know, how does it contribute? Well, it's free for the taking. Uh, you can, this group can save time on the development of use cases, specifications, and so on. Uh, fitting in, let me jump to uh, slide 22. Uh, here are um, 1179, there's uh, ISO SE32, um, ISO PC37, OMZ, W3C. They're all developing standards in the same area. If you click slide 23, you see OMG and uh, W3C and OASIS. Because if we do it all separately, it's easy for the standards developers, but it's hard for the standards implementers. Slide okay, 24. Excuse me? One minute. Okay. Slide 24 shows uh, the hard job for standards implementers uh, or for standards developers, but... Uh, the easy job for the implementers. And just one example, uh, we have put ISO 24707 together with ODM, um, the object management group ODM, and we have the same figures and text in those two standards. So I represent that as a success. But let me just stop uh, there. Um, and I want to mention that there is an open forum May 19 through 22 in Sydney, Australia. If people are interested in giving presentations about open ontologies are invited to send me an email message and uh, I think we can find uh, positions or spots to speak about it. And if you want to know more about it, go to metadata open forum, all one word, metadata open forum.org. And to find out more about what I've been talking about here, uh, go to uh, xmdr.org. I think that's the substance of what I had to say. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, folks, what I'd suggest is that uh, if you have questions, uh, write them down uh, and then ask them during the open discussion at the end. Um, uh, but I want to make sure that you, uh, you know, capture your questions and then ask them. Okay, thank you. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Yep. Uh, our, our next speaker uh, is uh, Mike Dean who is going to be talking about uh, uh, the DAML ontology library. Mike? Okay. Uh, thank you, Leo. Uh, going on to slide two. Um, for anyone who isn't familiar, uh, the DAML program uh, was a DARPA program from 2000 to 2005, uh, started by Jim Handler, that really catalyzed the semantic web. Um, and early in the program, uh, we developed... Uh, uh, an ontology library we'll, uh, we're looking at for OOR, basically uh, uh, organizing the content, promoting reuse, and uh, uh, showing adoption of ontology-related technologies. Um, well, the next three years, we got almost 300 uh, uh, submissions, uh, a combination of DAML plus OIL and uh, OWL. Um, uh, this was actually cited in a number of papers, particularly at ISWC, you know, was an initial starting point for a lot of people, particularly that wanted to do uh, analysis across a large number of ontologies. And one of the helpful features in particular was 
uh, some categorization that we did essentially by what features were actually being used or how many people were actually using uh, functional property or inverse functional property or uh, things like that. Um, this ultimately was largely replaced uh, by a couple other uh, uh, registry efforts that I'll talk about later in the uh, uh, in the talk. Um, uh, most of the content is still available uh, at uh, on the download.org website, and uh, the download.org is now uh, uh, maintained uh, archives basically uh, at W3C. Uh, they were uh, basically better better prepared than we were to sort of make guarantee that it would be available uh, in the future. Uh, going on to slide uh, three. Uh, basically, in terms of the structure, uh, we uh, had a web-based submission mechanism. Anybody who wanted to uh, could submit an ontology. Um, there was a MySQL database that basically stored the information that was submitted and some additional information that was uh, gathered by actually uh, analyzing the ontologies itself, itself uh, themselves. And uh, then there was uh, a set of static pages, some of which were regenerated nightly, uh, and also some servlets that were actually used for browsing the content of the ontology. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, of the uh, uh, repository. Uh, moving on to slide four. Uh, here's an example uh, using one of the ontologies that I think is quite familiar to a lot of uh, uh, Ontolog forum participants. Uh, uh, you can see basically we captured the actual URL for the ontology. Uh, information about uh, a submitter uh, as well as uh, uh, a point of contact, a really author of the ontology, uh, allows some mechanisms for basically associating keywords uh, or open directory categories uh, with the ontology, basically you know, as, a, as a means of um, making it easier to uh, to find ontologies. Uh, we actually listed and recorded and listed all of the classes and all the properties that was a, those are both abbreviated here for space. Um, as well as the namespaces that were used, which is a good uh, way for us of finding out uh, 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 to what extent what uh, languages were used, being used as far as RDFS and OWL, for example, uh, um, and uh, also basically reuse of uh, uh, upper ontologies by other ontologies. Uh, we captured mostly for our internal benefits uh, uh, some information on the funding sources and also notes that uh, basically didn't fit into these uh, categories. So uh, most of the submissions came from uh, people that were directly involved in the demo program. Um, there were uh, you know, a reasonable number uh, that came from uh, from other sources as well. And if you want to look at the complete representation, uh, there's the URL for that uh, full page uh, on the bottom. Uh, moving to uh, slide five. Um, some of the lessons learned, I think probably the biggest one was uh, – uh, a user need for some mechanism of curation or vetting or quality control associated with it, the uh, ontologies, basically. Uh, initially, we were uh, basically uh, took, took anything that we could get, essentially, and, uh, you know, required to have it. And that was, uh, that was the right thing, you know, in uh, seven years ago. Uh, but things have changed and evolved quite a bit at this point. So I think initially we were thinking more of sort of, uh, a user rating system, kind of like you have on Amazon.com or things like that. Uh, certainly some statistics in terms of direct reuse and, and tying it into some of the crawlers in terms of how widely some of these vocabularies are being used, uh, you know, would be helpful. Uh, there's a little bit of a quant, you know, um, sometimes sort of the, what most of, most of us might think of as quality and level of reuse uh, doesn't necessarily match. Uh, 
So folk, for example, you know, is very highly reused, although uh, most of us uh, cringe a little bit at at least uh, uh, some of the content uh, in it. Um, the other thing that's an important thing is uh, basically having some mechanism for actually caching the ontologies. Uh, uh, these, uh, some of the links uh, do uh, eventually break. And uh, I think in our case, we actually stored the ontologies locally, uh, but we didn't actually expose that information to the users. And, uh, you know, in a number of cases, that uh, uh, would certainly be helpful. Uh, going on to the next slide, please. Uh, a couple suggestions, basically, for uh, people uh, beginning ontology efforts. Um, uh, one of the thing, ontology repository efforts. Uh, one thing that certainly is helpful is to validate uh, inputs and updates. Uh, as I recall, we actually did this basically as, as part of our batch uh, processing um, uh, nightly, and uh, uh, mostly being able to sort of uh, steer people away from things that had uh, sort of egregious uh, syntax errors and things like that. Which we still do happen sometimes. Uh, some indication of the language dialect or complexity, whether this is RDFS or OWL-like, for example, uh, you know, would uh, would be helpful for many people. And a lot of the ontology editors basically provide that capability um, already. Um, there probably is some need for manual review to uh, uh, remove any spam that comes in or eliminate duplicates. I think uh, uh, looking at the total number of submissions that we had, I think about a third of the entries uh, basically were removed um, for one of these two reasons. Um, and certainly, as Bruce mentioned, it's desirable to provide programmatic interfaces to the repository as well as uh, as human interfaces, and particularly a Sparkle endpoint is, is uh, uh, the way to go for the uh, semantic web. Um, going on slide seven. Uh, I wanted to touch on a couple other projects that were either related to the demo program or uh, also as part of this discussion. One is Swoogle. Uh, which is a uh, semantic web crawler and search engine from uh, the University of, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, this, uh, uh, although it's a general purpose crawler, it's really focusing more on collecting information about classes and properties rather than instances. Um, their homepage says that they have over uh, 10,000 ontologies uh, that um, uh, they have information on. Uh, it's been widely cited and is certainly one of the uh, dominant sources at this point for people doing uh, analysis across a wide body of uh, ontologies. And um, Tim Finan and others at UMBC, I think, are interested in, con in continuing development um, of uh, Swoogle, um, you know, pending the availability of more uh, funding. Uh, moving on to slide eight. Uh, here's a couple uh, screenshots from uh, Swoogle. This is uh, taking uh, one of the classes uh, from Sumo, and uh, uh, you can see multiple. You can see that actually the uh, uh, Sumo is uh, listed in the uh, uh, output on the side, uh, on the left-hand side, um, uh, along with some other ontologies that also uh, contain that term. Um, and uh, on the right-hand side is basically some of the statistics that uh, uh, Swoogle has gathered. Uh, um, on the uh, amount of content that it has crawled and so forth. So uh, this is really a very nice, a very nice resource. And uh, uh, if if you haven't looked at it, uh, uh, you may want to. It's uh, in terms of sort of general indexing of semantic web content. Uh, uh, SWSE from Derry, which is designed more for scalability and uh, focusing on instances, is uh, is also a useful uh, useful resource. Uh, moving on to slide nine. Um, Ontario was a ontology repository that uh, WPC was working on for a while. Um, uh, it's currently in a state of disrepair, but I think there might be some useful insights 
off of what they were trying to do that uh, Sandro Hawk wanted to might be able to provide, and uh, I wanted to make sure that this was part of the uh, part of the record here. Uh, moving on to slide ten. Uh, the Schema Web is another repository effort uh, that started in about uh, 2003, and I don't know that there really even were any sort of programmatic connections to some of the European Union uh, semantic web efforts. Uh, this was basically announced one day to the uh, uh, RDF interest email list, WCC. And uh, um, actually, uh, uh, currently uh, looking at, uh, it seems to have about 200 vocabularies, which is actually a nice and relatively current collection. Uh, particularly of RDF-based uh, vocabularies um, that are in uh, in widespread use. Uh, if you move to slide 11, uh, here's an example of uh, uh, schema web uh, showing, uh, again, looking for uh, abnormal anatomical structure, uh, finding two references in Sumo and Milo, and then an example of showing the more detailed information that they have on Milo. Uh, I think that's the last slide. Okay, Mike. Uh, actually, you, you're ahead by about five minutes, so um, your completion time is going to be 2.18. Okay. Um, uh, so what I'd suggest is if you have any direct questions right now um, uh, to give to Mike uh, that you ask them uh, within, uh, within this time slot, and if there aren't any, then we'll continue. We want to make sure that everyone has their uh, time quota. Okay. Uh, if anyone wants to uh, ask a question, please press a one one uh, on your uh, on your phone keypad. Uh, actually, Mike, you did uh, type on the uh, chat board that uh, we should also mention an OMG. Uh, Repository work. Uh, yes, I saw some email traffic on that. I'm not terribly familiar with um, the work that's going on there, but I know that there was some interest, and I thought that some of those participants might be online today. Right. Maybe we should ask. I mean, we're expecting like Evan Wallace, uh, who should be here, or Lisa Kendall. Yes. Oh. Okay. Uh, let's see if anyone has their hands up. Yes, a person from 301 area code. Uh, Number ending 3520, if, if you press a star 3, uh, please speak up. Introduce yourself first. Hi, this is Evan Wallace. Oh, hello. Evan. Hey, um, my question was, um, you talked about uh, some validation that you used um, at entry time. Um, uh, was it just purely uh, syntax checking, or was there anything more? Uh, we used the uh, OWL validator that one of my colleagues developed, um, so that includes basically the RDFXML um, well-formedness checks as well as some checks on usage. You know, for example, if something is used as a uh, uh, as a predicate that actually is defined as a property. So, um, you know, it's similar to, to some of the other validation services that are here. I mean, you can't formally validate uh, um, um, uh, OWL. Uh, or RDF schema, but uh, there's certainly a lot of a lot of heuristic checks that one can apply. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, on the chat board we have a uh, question from Susan Turnbull. Uh, Susan, if you do a star three and uh, speak up, test your voice. Uh, yeah. Um, Mike, yeah, yeah. Uh, just quick question on slide four, where you were discussing kind of the need for curator as uh, 
links break and so on. Right. Would it be possible to think of like kind of a lightweight XML instant document approach like we use at ET.gov to support kind of the sustainable curation of the elements in your repository? It looks actually very similar to what we do at ET.gov. Um, it could. I haven't actually seen the ET.gov, so um, I uh, so I can't comment on that directly. But I, I think there probably um, are probably is utility in several different mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, one um, thing for people who are willing to sort of go out and actually say that they you know uh, that they like an ontology. Uh, you know, following the recommendations of some of the experts would certainly be useful for some people. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah. just sort of a basic kind of, I, I, I like this or better yet, I use this uh, right. mechanism would probably also be helpful. Yeah, because what, what we found is people care enough to maintain what they've, what they've got, and then because it's XML, we've got um, the, uh, the web-based tools people just arriving on the scene and making utilities like searching across just, just there. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, we have one minute, folks. Great. Uh, the last comment I make is that we didn't include any mechanisms for uh, uh, linking terms across ontologies, but we certainly recognize the utility in doing that. Okay. Uh, we have maybe 30 seconds. Um, okay. In the interest of time, uh, cue your questions. And uh, we're going to uh, move on to the next speaker. Thanks. This is Mark Newson uh, from Stanford. I wanted to let you know that Benjamin Dye, the uh, chief software architect for our project, is also with me, and I'll be talking about the BioPortal system, which we're creating as part of the offerings of the National Center for Biomedical Ontology. Uh, I gave a talk for the Analog Forum back in December uh, on the details of the BioPortal system, and those of you who want to hear it in its gruesome detail can go back to the archives and hear that talk. I'll be relatively brief this afternoon. Um, The uh, work that we're doing is part of a national center that is funded by the NIH Roadmap. And so the National Center for Biomedical Ontology is one of the seven national centers that the NIH has created to help um, maintain and generate an infrastructure for biomedical computation. And the centerpiece of the work that we're generating through NCBO is BioPortal, which is our ontology uh, repository, uh, with a lot of features that I'll be talking about in a few minutes. Um, BioPortal is... Being developed in an entirely generic way, and we actually are hoping that what we're doing in BioPortal will be a model for how to handle ontologies in e-science and in other communities as well. Although, since we're funded by NIH, we obviously focus on, on biomedical content. And in the area of biology and medicine, ontologies that have been around for a long time and are extremely important for characterizing descriptions of patients, for, for billing, for reimbursement, for uh, epidemiology and public health. And in biology, ontologies have become absolutely essential in order to do data integration and to be able to do cross-species comparison of biological phenomena. Well, on the web... Slide number, are we, are we on now? We're on slide two. 
Um, on the web at the URL that you see on slide two is a publicly available early version of BioPortal. In a moment, I'll give you the URL for uh, an alpha prototype, which is actually much more interesting, and I'll be showing you some some features of that prototype. Um, and obviously, uh, we'll hope to solicit your comments. So slide three shows the overall architecture for BioPortal, and it's a relatively standard layered architecture. Uh, where we're using a, a Ruby on Rails presentation layer, and ultimately storage of, of ontologies uh, through two systems that are uh, the results of uh, partners in the NCBO. Uh, one is LexGrid, uh, a system which is extremely well uh, suited for storing controlled terminologies and thesauri, and we use LexGrid for a lot of the medical terminologies that uh, BioPortal needs to serve. And we're also using Protege, which is one of the products of, of our laboratory here at Stanford, for handling uh, ontologies that are, are in RDF and OWL, which are not well handled by LexGrid at this point, all of which ultimately goes to a, a relational database back end. And we can talk more about uh, the architecture and the discussion period if, if, if you want more details. It's important to say that BioPortal is one piece of a whole uh, collection of systems that the NCBO is developing. So BioPortal, which is the ontology repository, uh, communicates with, for example, a system known as Jambalaya, which is an ontology visualization service that is under development by our colleagues at the University of Victoria uh, in Canada. And Jambalaya provides a very novel way of looking at ontologies, of animating on, uh, the access to ontologies and visualizing them, uh, which I will not have time to talk about here, but it's something probably w which will be a good topic for a future Ontolog forum. Uh, I'll be showing you in a minute the open biomedical resources service that we're creating uh, at Stanford, which is able to link the ontologies in the repository to data sources that are available out on the web so that we can directly connect the controlled terms in our ontologies to relevant data to allow scientists to access data that may be of use to them in their experiments. So I'll show you that in a moment. Uh, our colleagues at Berkeley are creating something called the Open Biomedical Database, which is able to store annotations of biomedical data repositories, uh, and that's an important component of our, of our infrastructure as well. And our friends at, at Berkeley are also working on a system called Phenote, which allows uh, biologists to annotate their data, and those annotations are stored in, in, in the OBD system, which is accessible through BioPortal. So that's, that's, that's the slide four now, right? That's correct. That's the landscape of services that we're developing uh, through NCBO. And of interest, uh, others are working on uh, taking advantage of our services as, as well. So through the CA Big Project at NCI, uh, there's interest in creating an ontology repository which would build on the services that uh, BioPortal offers. And uh, the uh, RSNA folks who are working on a control terminology for radiology known as Radlex are creating their own ontology viewer, which again uses uh, bioportal services. So we're, we're, we're pretty excited about not only having a rich set of services being developed by NCBO, but also having colleagues in other areas who are now already using the services that we're developing. So slide five. Uh, advertises the new prototype for the BioPortal system, which I spent a lot of time talking about in my uh, uh, talk back in December for Ontolog. 
Uh, what's really exciting to us is that the new prototype builds in a lot of services that folks have already mentioned as being important for ontology repositories. So we have the Jambalaya services available through the UVic collaboration, which gives us ontology visualization in a very exciting way. Uh, we are working very hard to develop mappings between and among ontologies, because what's particularly important in biology is that there are so many uh, ontologies that have been created by the community with overlapping components that it's really very important for users to be able to understand how a particular ontology might relate to other ontologies in the, in the repository. And so mapping is receiving a, a fair amount of attention, and I'll get to that in a moment. The other thing that's really important, as has already been mentioned, is that people want to be able to understand how good are the ontologies in the repository, and for particular ontologies, where are they problematic, where are they modeling the world in a, in a, in a good way, where are they modeling the world in a controversial way. And so we're experimenting with the idea of marginal notes, if you will, marginalia, that any uh, user can use to annotate ontologies, so sort of like in a Web 2.0 world, we're allowing the user community to annotate ontologies with comments and to respond to the comments of others in a way that will allow the users to understand where ontologies may be uh, good, where they may be failing, and where they might be improved. So if you want to see what this looks like, and I'll, uh, I'll show you in a moment some static screen dumps, but the best thing you can do is go to uh, alpha.bioontology.org and play around with that prototype. And uh, Nick Griffin, who is the uh, principal developer of the presentation layer, is the person who will be most eager to receive your feedback. And I'm hoping that between now and when we actually all meet at the end of April, we'll be able to get a lot of feedback from the Ontolog community, which will facilitate the next generation of our prototype. So let me, let me, let me show you what, what this all looks like. Go to slide six, and you'll see... Uh, the NCI thesaurus as it's visualized in BioPortal. And BioPortal right now has about 60 ontologies, many of which come from the OBO, the Open Biomedical Ontologies Library that the biology community has put on SourceForge. A lot of the uh, content comes from control terminologies that are important in biomedicine as well. Here we see the NCI thesaurus, and what you see on the left-hand side is a, is a tree browser that allows you to actually take a look at the classes in the ontology. And as you see on the right, there's the, the ability to visualize the same ontology graphically. If you look at the tree browser on the left, you'll notice that there is a class called Findings and Disorders Kind. There's a real class from the NCI thesaurus. And that little icon that you see next to that indicates that a user has left a marginal note regarding that particular class, as is the case for the marginal, for the class, which is a subclass of that entity uh, called disease, disorder, or finding. Again, there's a marginal note there, and I'll show you in a minute how to get to that note. Uh, we go to slide seven. What you see is the fact that not only can we browse uh, a single ontology in BioPortal, the browser actually allows you to have various ontologies open at once. So here, although you only see the NCI thesaurus, you can see that the foundational model of anatomy, the FMA, has also been selected as a tab, and Galen, another ontology important in biomedicine, has been selected as a tab. And the, uh, the system allows you to look at various ontologies side by side as a way of making comparisons uh, visually and, uh, and, and through mappings, as I'll, show, as I'll show in a moment. 
So on slide eight, you can get a sense for how we uh, implement mappings. And what you see with the uh, with the uh, uh, notation of number one is the fact that Nick Griffith has already said that there's a mapping between the ontology that's currently displayed in BioPortal, the zebrafish anatomy ontology, where Nick has said that the entity called blood, which you can see in the tree browser on the on the left hand side highlighted, maps to an entity called blood in the adult mouse anatomy ontology. And uh, what we see is a way of specifying uh, that blood in a zebrafish and blood in a mouse is basically the same kind of entity. And, in fact, there are marginal notes that users have left, which will indicate uh, their particular uh, comments on the validity of that particular mapping. That this is, a, this, uh, is one way mappings get entered. I should say that one of the things that Stanford has been working on for some time is a system called Prompt. This is primarily Natasha Noy's work, and that allows semi-automated mapping of, between ontologies in sort of a bulk fashion. And one of the things that BioPortal ultimately will allow users to do is not only to create mappings as they're uh, browsing through an ontology and doing this in a one-off kind of way, but also to upload uh, large numbers of mappings created through the prompt system uh, in a bulk fashion. Don't have a means for showing that right now. If you look at where number two is on the on slide eight, you'll see as a as a button for creating a new mapping. And if you go to slide nine, you'll see more specifically how that's done. So we're looking currently at in this slide at the Burnlex ontology. And the user in area one has said, well, I want to map that to something called blood in the adult mouse anatomy ontology. And actually, in the, in, in the area demarcated by number two, we can actually take a look at how blood is defined in the context of the adult mouse anatomy ontology. And if we're satisfied that the entity in the Bernlex ontology and the entity in the adult mouse on, anatomy ontology are the same, then we just click on create and we've entered that ontology into uh, the metadata that are associated with our ontology. So this is how we do one-by-one -one mappings uh, in addition to the more bulk mappings that we upload through the prompt system. If we now go to the next slide, uh, we see... Uh, uh, we, yes. uh, we, we have two more minutes. Okay, thank you, Leo. Uh, the next slide shows you our resources tab and what you see on the left-hand side is the tree browser view, again, of the NCI thesaurus. And what's exciting to me is that when you click on, say, hepatocellular carcinoma, what opens up under resources are a variety of online resources that link hepatocellular carcinoma to data that are publicly available on the web. So, for example, we can see what are the PubMed uh, citations for hepatocellular carcinoma. What are the uh, microarray data that exists in Array Express related to hepatocellular carcinoma? What are the clinical trials that relate to hepatocellular carcinoma? And because we can take advantage of the semantic relationships in the ontology, we're able to essentially explode these terms and understand how hepatocellular carcinoma and all of the terms that are subsumed by hepatocellular carcinoma might relate to these various online resources. So the BioPortal provides a direct linkage between the ontology content and data resources that our scientists may want to get on the web. 
the next slide shows how marginal notes are entered. And basically what we have are the ability to have dialogues between users. Here, for example, uh, Nigam has said that the class findings and disorders kind is, is, is uh, perhaps not an appropriate uh, subclass, uh, might need some more work. And Natasha has responded, but we actually don't see Natasha's response. And basically, we use these threaded dialogues as a way of having notations on our ontologies and providing basically any user with the ability to see how uh, folks have responded to the, to the ontology and where the problems might lie. If you go to the next slide, slide 12, what you will ultimately see is what users will, will be able to have through BioPortal, a way of seeing, of having subscribed RSS feeds where when people make comments through marginal notes and ontologies, they can be informed automatically uh, that there are marginal notes that have been entered and they may want to look at those notes and understand what those uh, discussions are all about and the developer use them as the basis for making revisions to the ontology in the future. There's a section called My Ontologies, and here the user said, for example, he particularly cares about the Xenopus Anatomy Ontology, and, they can, and the user can see, well, there are seven new comments uh, that have been added, uh, three proposals have been made for possible changes to the ontology, and so on. And so basically, there's a dashboard that allows each user, in a customized fashion, to get a sense through RSS feeds of what's going on in the community, what community annotations and comments have been made on the ontologies, in a way of keeping track, in a dynamic sense, of how ontologies are being commented on, and ultimately how ontologies will evolve. So slide 13 sort of summarizes the functionality that this new alpha prototype is offering, uh, the ability to have an ontology repository, which obviously is essential to uh, the OOR initiative, uh, the ability to have linkages and mappings among different ontologies. And what we're really getting very excited about in terms of our experimentation is a community-based process by which we can have peer review of ontologies and ontology annotation, which we think will allow us to make ontologies more understandable, more accessible, and obviously uh, improve in response to community feedback. Uh, we have linkages between ontology content and these online data repositories through the resource that I showed you earlier, which I think is going to provide a very nice functionality for users, users of our ontology. And ultimately, what I think is very exciting for us is that we're offering not only a repository for, for ontologies, but what we're viewing as a community-based infrastructure that will bring the biologists and the clinicians together and offer a mechanism by which they can look at ontologies, comment on ontologies, download ontologies for their particular applications. And ultimately, what we want to be able to experiment with is not only the repository functionality, but the way in which these additional features will support communities of practice as they operate on ontologies and, and, and put them to use. And I'll stop there. And, okay, uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, um, very good overview. We'll have to put off questions till the end um, due to time considerations. Uh, we'd like to introduce now Farouk Najmi, uh, who will be talking on the EBXML registry for uh, ontology, open ontology server. Farouk? Thank you. Hi, my name is Farouk Najmi, and uh, I am uh, representing uh, Wellfleet Software as well as the Oasis EBXML RegRep Technical Committee. And uh, uh, part of my background is also as a lead for the open source FreeBXML registry project at SourceForge, which uh, provides an implementation 
of uh, EVXML RegRep 3.0. So I'm, uh, uh, let's uh, go to slide uh, three, please. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, I prepared a pretty high level talk. Uh, there's a lot more detail, uh, uh, particularly implementation related that I did not cover here. Um, uh, I'm going to touch on a few uh, information management use cases that I see uh, as likely in the uh, ontology repository. Uh, and uh, I'll uh, briefly touch on a high-level architecture, straw man architecture for uh, OR and uh, uh, talk about EBXML registry repository uh, and provide a brief overview. And uh, then basically share with you uh, what uh, I envision uh, is uh, uh, um, our offering if EVXML RegRep would be a candidate for the OR server. So with that, uh, I'm on slide uh, four. One second, yes. Slide four. And uh, here uh, we're going to start uh, looking at uh, a typical uh, workflow of use cases starting at 12 o'clock with uh, um, an initial uh, uh, user of the ontology repository either importing an entire ontology or uh, uh, publishing a term or concept within, within an existing ontology. Uh, some things that are not shown here, obviously, in any information system, you have to go through authentication, access control, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, beyond publishing the, uh, the ontological content, um, there is some administrative tasks that uh, uh, are likely uh, to be able to define policies associated with, with the content that was just published, and that's the role of a uh, uh, administrator that might define things like access control policies, uh, validation rules, etc. And uh, these these validation rules, for example, would be those that would then be uh, enforced by the server when people uh, make make uh, changes to that uh, ontolo ontological term. Um, another user could uh, uh, later discover. Uh, the content that was published by the first user, uh, whether it's an entire ontology, parts of an ontology, and uh, they, they, if they're interested in, in this uh, uh, information on a longer-term basis, they may wish to subscribe to it. And uh, if, they, if, they, if they are making use of this uh, information in some context, so for example, if they want to extend an existing ontological uh, class uh, and define their own extension uh, of it, they could do so. Uh, they could also create a semantic map, uh, define a relationship to basically uh, uh, define an equivalence relationship between uh, the term. In any event, the the original term is now under reference by uh, another user, and uh, at some point later, the first user may go and update the in, uh, the the, ter uh, the terms that they had published. The updates could be uh, uh, resulting in new versions of the of the 
content and whenever change is made to information that somebody subscribed to then the system needs to be able to deliver uh, change notification uh, to the users that are subscribed to that and also any user should be able to uh, review the change history of of uh, the information and then um, at some point when the information is stable enough and mature enough to uh, perhaps be shared with a broader audience then a reviewer could re- review and approve uh, uh, that content for being ready for publication for example in a uh, repository that has a wider scope with a state that indicates that it's been approved uh, for uh, broader use and uh, to uh, towards the end of the life cycle of the ontological content it may eventually be deprecated signaling that uh, the information is uh, uh, on its uh, uh, way to being uh, obsoleted and eventually when there are uh, when the timing is right and there is no more uh, usage of that uh, uh, information that uh, could be deleted and that's the role again of an administrator uh next slide please uh, slide 5 i guess uh, i'm having a little trouble with my flipping the slides okay here we are slide 5 and uh, this is uh, uh showing a high level architecture of what the ontolo- uh, open ontology repository server might look like and uh, we have uh, the core server at the center and at, above, at the uh, upper end of the server is its public interfaces while on the bottom are its service provider interfaces or its extensibility points the public interfaces uh, the the service interfaces are exposed both as uh, soap and rest there are situations where uh, uh, restful interfaces uh, are a better fit and there are situations where soap interfaces are better fit in either case uh, either interface should be able to uh, uh, provide the the underlying abstract interfaces functionality and uh, at the bottom we show uh, various uh, 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 service plugins uh, certainly for uh, any kind of information system you need uh, authentication and authorization uh, i i would like to suggest that in a in an environment where there are many participants from many different organizations that uh, the the identity management be one that is fairly flexible and open id is one that i found uh, to be quite useful in such situations uh there are plugins for validation which uh, which can be specific to different types of content so for example for owl content there could be an owl validator uh, and uh, a different validator for rdf content and so on cataloging plugins uh, uh, would allow for information that's published to be automatically uh, uh examined and processed to generate metadata that would facilitate uh its discovery 
and the notification plugins are uh, there so that uh, subscribers may be able to be notified by different modalities, whether as a web service notification or an email notification, etc. And then more uh, uh, closer to ontological uh, plane, we have uh, uh, plugins for reasoning uh, or inference engines, uh, mapping engines. So this is all basically uh, fairly abstract, but uh, one of the ways that this particular offering is different is that EBXML RegWeb is not an ontology repository, but a more general purpose registry and repository whose strength is that it's fairly flexible, as we'll see in the next few slides, and can be adapted to manage different types of content through a variety of plugins. And uh, just to wrap this picture up, at the very top we have uh, uh, different types of clients. Uh, uh, a GUI client uh, uh, would would allow for uh, uh, basically uh, a customized GUI for managing uh, ontologies and uh, uh, defining, uh, uh, addressing the various use cases that that we've talked about uh, in previous talks, uh, and custom clients would 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 use some sort of an API, for example, a Java API, to talk with uh, either the REST or SOAP interfaces. Slide uh, six, please. Here we show. Uh, um, uh, Can't hear, uh, we can't hear you, uh, Farouk. Farouk, have you muted? Did this line drop? Uh, I'm not sure. Can you tell can that? Can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you now. Yes. Okay, I, I don't know how long I've been on mute. Uh, okay, uh, just start from slide number six. All right. So on slide number six, uh, uh, it's describing a, a, a federation uh, uh, architecture where uh, multiple uh, repo uh, repositories are working together uh, as if they're virtually one repository. And the idea is that organizations need to maintain an administrative autonomy over their own local OR instance. Access control has to be enforced even though it's distributed, and that typically implies uh, single sign-on or federated identity management requirements. It's possible to replicate data, but it should not be required. And we, see, we show in this picture two different topologies. One is where we have uh, a federation of peers, and... Uh, the other where there is a there is an implied hierarchy, and uh, the scenario here is one where, for example, different institutions like Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic may have their own ORs in the medical community of ORs, and they can uh, deploy. We, we, are, uh, we have three minutes. All right, thank you. I better speed up. So, slide seven, please. 
So, as I mentioned, DBXML RegRep is a fairly generic registry repository. It's a approved OASIS and ISO standard uh, with version 3 uh, being already uh, approved. Version 4 is uh, expected in 2008, sometime late this year. Its main hallmark is not ontologies, but it's high degree of extensibility. Um, it has a profile for uh, OWL Lite, which is an approved specification. Its features include extensible meta model, extensible community, uh, extensible protocol, um, as well as uh, a powerful query mechanism whereby you can essentially plug in uh, support for different types of query syntaxes. It has a flexible relationship mechanism so that uh, we could use that, for example, to define semantic equivalence. Uh, it has a service model where OWL-S could be uh, used. It has uh, uh, the validation and cataloging capabilities that I mentioned earlier, uh, subscription and notification, very flexible role-based access control, um, change history, etc., and uh, SOAP and REST uh, bindings as well as a Java API. Uh, there's an open source project, FreeBXML Registry, which provides a royalty-free open source implementation. Since this is not an ontology repository, uh, it is more of a toolkit than an out-of-box solution. Okay, one minute. And, all right, slide eight. Let's see if we can see. So in the upcoming version, uh, which is actually the one that we are working on implementing right now, uh, are quite a few new features. But the most important one is very high degree of extensibility, so new types of content uh, such as uh, uh, OWL uh, uh, descriptions can be modeled much more easier. And uh, the basic proposal that uh, uh, that I'm making is that we build on top of RegRep 4, this is slide 9, and uh, uh, implement the OWL Lite profile, uh, which is a uh, approved specification. And since... since uh, uh, RegRep does not provide an ontology-specific UI. We use Protege for that purpose and integrate RegRep 4 and Protege, uh, such that RegRep 4 uh, serves as a backend for, uh, for multi-user Protege client, and Protege uh, provides the reasoning engine as well as the GUI. And uh, this basically uh, is the gist of our uh, proposal. Uh, there is... Uh, uh, quite a uh, on slide uh, 10, you see that you know there are, it's not a simple solution. It's got the biggest issue being that uh, it requires some development and that it does potentially overlap with uh, uh, existing work going on with the Protege team and their client-server implementation, and would require collaboration. If we decided on uh, exploring this, uh, would require collaboration with the Protege team. That's basically uh, the, the the presentation. If you uh, have uh, questions, I can take that off uh, after uh, we get into the QA session. Okay, thank, thank you, Rook. Uh, uh, folks, uh, next speaker is Peter Yim. Uh, remember to write down your questions. Uh, Peter?
Thank you, Leo. Okay, uh, going on to slide two now. Uh, essentially, I I will spend a little bit of time uh, telling people who I am. I mean, with respect to my sort of non-ontolog hat, and then I will answer the same three questions that our other speakers uh, have been answering: is what are we doing that is pertinent to the OOR initiative? What can we bring to the table, and how would that fit with what everyone else is bringing in? Uh, and like Bruce has remarked, uh, I believe over the course of the presentation, the questions that Frank is look, uh, looking for will be answered as well. Next slide, number three. Uh, we we are doing business. Uh, the company name actually is CIM Engineering, but it's doing business as CIM3. We were established in 1989, and for those who quite know me, I actually had a past life in manufacturing, and that's why uh, things like production, uh, robustness, quality, these things are sort of near and dear. Uh, the term CIM3 actually started in 1990 when I was sort of putting an augmentation into a computer-integrated manufacturing system. I they sort of kept the acronym, but sort of modified it over the last uh, decade or so into uh, collaboration in human methodology and machines, essentially uh, trying to provide uh, optimization towards uh, how people, process, and tools can collaborate. Uh, slide number four. So uh, today what CIM3 does is trying to uh, make a mission of enabling more effective distributed collaboration and virtual enterprise through bootstrapping collective intelligence over the Internet. And uh, people who read this would uh, probably realize that I'm sort of a converted uh, Engelbartian. So Doug Engelbart has a lot of influence on the way we have been thinking and have been implementing our work. Uh, CIM3 actually operates under three different uh, hats. Uh, there's .com, where people would receive our invoices, .net, which actually is an infrastructure providing hosting services, and there's a .org, which is the... Uh, arm that holds our open intellectual uh, properties. Uh, of course, our uh, uh, essential business is to provide ISP service uh, as an internet service provider, particularly in providing collaborative work environment infrastructures uh, that enables distributed project teams, uh, virtual enterprises, and communities of practice to work effectively over the Internet. Going to slide number five, uh, that these are pictures of our facility. And interestingly enough, uh, unlike the earlier speakers, uh, I'm, I'm coming from an end that sort of uh, where things are almost taken for granted these days. Although, I mean, being working in that uh, space, I can tell you uh, it does keep myself and my colleagues up all night. I mean, it's, so it's not 
easily taken for granted. I mean, the fact that people can take it for granted is because, I mean, someone else is working on them. So going to slide number six, uh, this list, uh, some of the work uh, in the hosting infrastructure, uh, of course, our flagship uh, offering is what we call a collaborative work environment, which is a suite of open source tools that helps uh, communities uh, collaborate. And uh, we have like open versions and community-only versions. I mean, essentially something that's openly available across the web or things that are password protected uh, in uh it's like working in the open space versus working in a quiet uh, room. Uh, our network facility is something we are very proud of. Uh, most of, uh, I would say most of our servers are uh, co-located in a tier one IPv4 internet hosting facility that is totally IPv6 ready. Uh, we have 100 megabits per second bandwidth into the Internet backbone, and that's upgradable to 1 gigabits per second in very short order, like maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, the backbone uh, includes, like, multiple OC192s and gig- gigabit Ethernet uh, uh, configured in a self-healing fiber ring. And uh, at one point in time, uh, this facility has been ranked among the top 10 networks in the world and the average hop to another uh another node is like 1.7 so uh we run mainly on uh linux servers uh usually uh, generally on like 1u uh, ibm boxes as you saw on the picture earlier uh but more importantly is uh we've run all the storage in uh, in sort of uh triple uh redundancy and distributed uh over 30 miles uh between the locations and then we have a locked down system environment with a spam filtering and content filtering actually if there weren't spammers uh our lives would have been a lot easier uh as uh mike earlier pointed out. I mean, that's actually a constant source of work for us. Not not getting paid, though. Uh, going to slide number seven, uh, this is what we have been providing to Ontolog. Uh I mean, I look at myself as sort of the bartender, but I mean, sitting on the bar actually is uh, the, the two icons of the AI world and the augmentation world. I mean, John McCarthy and Doug Engelbart uh, working with communities in a fishnet-type uh, organization. That's the, the model that we are working on, and I'm, I'm happy to say, I mean, it has proven to be extremely helpful. Uh, going to slide number eight, uh, that's sort of a picture of, uh, how the people uh, who are using Ontolog services, and uh, despite the fact that we only have 500 uh, members on the roster, we actually have like 1.8 million hits on 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 the website. Obviously, we have more users than are uh, registered than there are registered members, uh, which is great. 
And uh, going on to the next slide, uh, these are some of the case examples of what uh, of work that is host, being hosted on the CIM.net infrastructure. Uh, besides Ontolog, there's a CWE Dev, uh, the development team uh, that's Doug Engelbart's bootstrap work. Uh, we've done some work uh, hosting uh, projects for uh, software uh, restoration projects for the Computer History Museum. Uh, we've teamed up with the uh, Mark's uh, protege team, and there's a, a, a collaborative ontology development service uh, team up that I will talk a little more. Uh, I have uh, the GSA uh, Susan's office as one of our clients and so on and so forth. Uh, we, we're going down to the bottom of that list. I mean, we're hosting like Adam Peace Sumo work and his Sigma knowledge engineering uh, environment, uh, which also I, I will have some slides to demonstrate. And uh, if you look at the slides, there are just a few screenshots. The, the one at the lower right corner is interesting because, I mean, all of you are probably more familiar with the the, the uh, user interface or the uh, look and feel of the other three, a recent collaboration between CIM3 and Ken Butklowski's, uh group, and we have uh, been developing like uh, purple numbers extensions for the media wiki and if you blow this screenshot up you can actually see that there are purple numbers on media wiki and uh, besides a regular flavor with actually installed uh, semantic media wiki so this is actually a purple semantic media wiki instance uh, that, that we, have, uh, we have in the works. Going to the next slide, uh, that's the uh, Ontology Summit from two years ago, uh, demonstrating that, I mean, a, a, a collaborative work environment can be very effective, I mean, especially coordinated with face-to-face uh, -face meetings and so on. And uh, going to the next slide, uh, slide number 11, uh, I would like to maybe touch upon a uh, a team up with Mark's Stanford uh, BMIR uh, the team. Uh, this actually started back in the fall of 2005, and we went ahead to say let's host an open collaborative ontology development service and infrastructure and provide a repository for that, uh, essentially featuring uh, Protege as the sort of development platform and with CIM providing the back-end infrastructure. Going to uh, slide number 12, uh, this is the software that's featured on there. Of course, the, the core piece is the Protege multi-user multi server uh, running on an LDBMS back-end, uh, of course, being an open uh, software person we tend to favor MySQL, but as Mark will tell you, uh, Oracle is supported. And we ran a subversion repository uh, with, of course, on the server, and then uh, there are clients available. We also feature a view VC GUI, and then for Windows users, there's Tortoise uh, SVN client that could be used. Uh, Mark three, mentioned. Three minutes. All right. 
Mark mentioned the the uh, Natasha's prompt uh, work in, of course, for collaborative uh, development. That's important. The uh, in, from an infrastructure point of view, there's a Tomcat application server, Apache web server, web dev server, and so on. And the the of course collaboration work is on our uh, CWE uh, service. So going to the next slide, uh, these, this is a few screenshots of this subversion. For those who know what subversion is, I don't have to spend a lot of time talking about this. But essentially, we have not gone into the uh, the, the ontology nor the, the class uh, class or instance level, but uh, treating at least rudimentarily uh, each ontology as a file and in allowing, let's say, comparison, of course, uh, capturing the the, 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 the submissions uh, and then doing this and so on. Next slide, uh, this is the, uh, the Windows client to access the subversion server. Uh, and then going on to slide number 15, This, these are a few screenshots of one project uh, that was done on uh, on Ontolog, uh, called the CCT representation. Essentially, we took the EDXML call component type, uh, types, I mean, uh, and then mapped that to a first order logic, uh, upper ontology, namely mapped to Sumo and maybe to a certain uh, extent, uh, Milo. And the, the, the mapping is done, is documented on, on the Ontolog CCT rep, uh, project page. And as you can see, uh, is it, it goes back and forth between that mapping. Next slide, uh, slide number 16. So what can we bring to the table? Uh, as I showed just now, of course, we can bring a robust hardware and network, uh, infrastructure. Uh, uh, uh one minute. All right, we have familiarity with the community process and can, could help manage in, uh, the, in, uh, manage the process and help in distributed collaboration. Uh, we have a good rapport with the ontology community. And so going to number 17, our potential role is, as Mark will call it, I mean, provide the plumbing, uh, the, the bottom layer of that technology stack. Uh, in the hosted infrastructure, uh, we can provide a collaborative work environment for distributed teamwork, and we can help facilitate the distributed work. Uh, and how does that fit in with what everyone else is bringing to the table? Uh, that's something we should discuss in the next segment, I guess. So uh, that's all I have. There are a few backup slides that people can go through at their leisure. This All right. Thanks, Peter. Leo. Yes. Uh, what we'd like to do now, folks, is uh, open it up to uh, discussion. Uh, Frank, uh, I'd suggest uh, maybe uh, you uh, open it up to uh, questions and answers. Maybe if I may suggest that we go through the questions that are already on the chat board and uh, in the meantime, if people who want to line up to ask questions press a 1-1 one, one on the keypad now, then we can go through them uh, in, in, in some order. That yeah, okay? yeah we we'll probably have to interleave those. All right. 
uh, Frank, are you on the chat board? No. If you're not, Leo is. Maybe Leo could. Sort uh, of, let me uh, let me to uh, hold on one second. Uh, let me find the queue here. Okay. Uh, it looks like uh, John Bateman has a question to Frank. Uh, if I'm reading this correctly, John, uh, John's question is, uh, John, are you on? John, uh, yes, he has his hands up too. I mean, could you, would you do a, a star three and then ask your question? John, please do a star three and test your voice. Oh, okay. John, uh, John Bateman. Uh, we're looking at the questions in the chat line, and okay. we're going to inter interleave these with uh, others that uh, folks do on the phone line. But your first question was to Frank Olkin. Yeah, it was just a quick one because there was such a helpful, uh, like mostly in brackets, which you put there. So I was wondering what the constraint was. So who is the NSS going to be funding here? What is the scope of the mostly? Um, typically, NSF funds. Um, U.S.-based uh, academic researchers, sometimes people at nonprofits or museums. Uh, we don't fund uh, directly um, people at for-profit organizations or uh, foreign researchers, but sometimes uh, they will come in as subcontractors to oh, okay. a project uh, submitted by an American university. Right. Okay. Uh, and we also that. typically don't do um, FFRDCs such as MITRE, although we have a few uh, awards to MITRE, uh, but right. usually those are done um, through other channels. Um, and the rules vary slightly from solicitation to solicitation, but the but generally, for example, we're not doing for-profit uh, usually, except, as I said, as a small subcontractor sometimes. Um, and also, this is just sort of, this isn't for scientific reasons, this is because our money comes from the U.S. Congress and they want to give it back to their constituents. Um, but, but contact me by email and I can, um, elaborate in more detail. That's not really the focus of today's, uh, workshop. I just want to alert well, we, we haven't been getting very many proposals in uh, semantic webs and ontologies. We've only got about, um, that I know of, we've got a dozen this year. There may be a few others doing uh, data integration that I haven't seen, uh, but it's not right. Well, by comparison, we have more than twice as many <laughs> uh, proposals in graph data mining. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm looking at uh, the next question on the chat line is probably... Uh, Susan Turnbull. Susan, are you on? I believe that was already addressed by Mike. Okay, let me now, go right? down. Is that correct, Susan? Oh. Okay, uh, Arturo Sanchez. Question for, uh, Dr. Mark Muthen. Arturo? 
his question was, uh, how is the mapping relation formally defined? Well, what we have is an ontology that defines the characteristics of mappings, and that ontology right now is fairly simple, um, and our mappings are fairly simple. They're basically equivalence mappings that go term to term. Uh, what we may be doing in the future is extending that ontology, uh, and that's actually the, uh, something that would be an ideal uh, project for those of us who are involved in this OOR initiative because mappings are really critical, I believe. But right now we use a mapping ontology, and our mappings are point-to-point -point and uh, simple equivalence. Okay. Uh, let's Can see. I uh, interject a comment there? Sure. Uh, this is this is Mike Dean, and uh, I, I wanted to comment that uh, uh, for some of the more complicated mappings that can't be directly supported by OWL, that we found that Swirl works quite well. And uh, uh, Protege, of course, supports editing Swirl rules, and uh, there's also an open source tool that we've developed called Snuggle uh, that's designed directly for ontology to ontology mapping, uh, OWL ontology to ontology mapping. Mike, do you have a pointer to that? Actually, I'd be very interested in learning more about it. Uh, yes, it's on uh, Suburb Central. Uh, I'll type it in. I'll type the URL in the uh, uh, in the chat window. Great, thanks. Can you can you post that, Mike? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, should I post it at the email list or, or the chat chat? Okay, if you put uh, it on I'll the chat, it. yeah, uh, if you put it on the chat, I will capture that back into the session page afterwards, so so everyone okay. would would see that okay. later. Uh, yes, because mapping is a, a, a complicated issue. Okay, next one. Now, uh, I'm still going through chat. Uh, looks like it's back. Uh, a side question from John Bateman. Term to term, I think we've answered that. John? Yeah, that's mapping, uh Within prompt, for example, only term to term or based on uh, anything more complex, formal basis. Have we answered that? Yeah, that's that's right. I think it was our last answer with the previous question because that's what uh, I was talking about in my talk a few couple of weeks ago. There, we also have a, a defined characterization of different kinds of mappings, so it'd be interesting to compare with the different tools which are coming in. And Arturo, uh, additional question about different versions of mappings and versions of annotations. How are they managed? That's a great question because this is really a challenge for us. Uh, right now, the mappings and the annotations are associated with a particular version of the ontology. And we frankly don't have enough experience right now to know how we want to handle the um, transference of uh, mappings and annotations to subsequent versions because in subsequent versions, those mappings may, may no longer be valid or the, the marginal notes may no, may, no, may no longer be valid. So the, the answer is, frankly, I don't know how we're going to do that. That's an area of experimentation for us. Okay, great. Uh, Michelle uh, also had a question uh, concerning uh, BioPortal. Michelle? Uh, well, yes. Actually, I'd like to to just skip that one and go to my to the question I had, which was more general to all the panelists. When there, when you're doing mappings between ontologies, what mechanisms do you recommend? Not necessarily what you support now, but what you recommend for scoping that particular mapping. This is open to everyone. If you need an example of, of the scoping, um, it may be that a term in one ontology 
mapped to a term in another ontology, but only a subset of the relationships of that term within the second ontology are really applicable for the domain space of the first one. That might be one example. Yeah, this is Mark. That really is a hard problem. And uh, I think our approach right now, which is rather simple, would be to exclude those kinds of mappings if we didn't have uh, semantic equivalence. But uh, a lot of people are, would like to be able to have those kinds of mappings. People would like to have probabilistic uh, mappings that would uh, suggest some uh, probability that, that, that concepts are uh, equivalent or uh, qualitative mappings that would be different kinds of relationships among concepts. Uh, right now, the tools that we use, uh, which is which is prompt, only support those equivalent mappings and, and don't have any of those those additional nuances. I think uh, this is a great area for research. I don't know if anyone who really has handled that any better. Okay, a combination question here. Uh, uh, looks like uh, Arturo and John uh, Bateman about things beyond subversion. Um, it looks like it might be a general comment about mapping issues and versioning issues. Uh, directed at Mark initially, but uh, let's open up to everyone. John's, John's statement looks more like a uh, statement rather than a question. Okay. Uh, I think I think it's important to say that that there are things that typical uh, content management systems uh, do that are really good for text-based uh, documents such as programs that don't always work well with ontologies where the serialization is basically uh, not predetermined. And so one of the things that we are concerned about in our work is being able to do versioning of ontologies and being able to do comparisons, basically diffs, of ontologies, knowing that we need to look at the logical relationships among uh, the ontologies and uh, not not uh, using uh, the textual uh, serialization as the basis for making that comparison. Yeah, so That's one of the reasons. That, go ahead. Tactic, but semantic. Exactly. Jeff Heflin has done, of Lehigh, has done some work on ontology versioning. He was largely responsible for the constructs that are in OWL and has published some more work um, subsequent to that on uh, some of the logical implications. Who was okay, that? Great. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Jeff Heflin at Lehigh. Yeah, and, and Werner Schuster, uh did make a presentation uh, at Ontolog probably more than a year ago now. Maybe not uh, about uh, versioning. I mean, not particularly about versioning, but but sort of from a realist perspective. And and that probably is is a good paper to review because he did sort of uh, break down the entire life cycle of of, the, of an ontology and, and sort of delve very deeply into the issue. And and if uh, folks have URLs. Uh, I would suggest posting it to uh, the, the, the distribution list. So this is this is Bargmeyer. I was going to pop into Michelle's question earlier, but then I pushed the wrong button and got a long list of things I could do on this teleconference. And in the process of that, I lost track of exactly where you are. But uh, uh, with regard to uh, the scoping of the mappings, uh, I, I would echo what... Uh, um, Mark said, but also uh, 
uh, for the uh, SMDR, we've stuck with the fairly simple uh, version where he is. Uh, but there are people like Mala Marotra that, uh, at Pergradi that are working on those, and we've been working with her. So uh, there, there's, there are some research issues, but I, I, I think you can do a better job of capturing some of that. Okay. Thanks, Bruce. Yes, uh, uh, I would suggest posting uh, kind of uh, whatever you know about ontology comparison issues, including Mala's work. Okay. And, okay, uh, just trying to go through the chats now. I, I don't mean to disabuse the um, the phone folks. Um, uh, Ravi Sharma had a, uh, some discussion about ODM, OWL, and um, other uh, models. Uh, Ravi, I don't know if you have a question here. Yes. Uh, I have a pretty broad question, which is... Uh, uh, the following. If you kindly give me half a minute, I'm saying we have enough from today's presentation to feed into initial um, thoughts and compilation of documents on our OOR architecture web pages that we have constructed as part of effort for Summit uh, 2008 for ontology, and also for collaboration with this OOR forum. So now, um, if you kindly recall the earliest proposal from Farooq, and then today three or four presentations, giving us various ideas on how to interlink multiple <coughs> repositories, uh, multiple instances of the same repository uh, as distributed, and uh, federated, as well as use cases on how ontology repositories can be used. Uh, now, with this preamble, I have a specific line of direction I need from the panel uh, for my at least clarity of thoughts and maybe for my senior colleague, Michelle uh, Raymond, uh, leading this architecture area, and that is as follows. Uh, ontologies have their own definitions as defined by OMG ODM, for example, is one approach where it's the ontology definition meta model. Also, in the same document, they also list uh, in relationships to all relationships to EBXML repository, I mean, uh, ontologies, and so on. So the ontology has expressions and metadata and constructs that are in multiple ways describable. Now, what I'm assuming uh, in this comment, which I made brief comment in the, on the chat, is that we don't have to worry about how the relationships among objects, for example, or things or concepts, are actually mapped in a given ontology. We leave that to the ontology engine that presents the natural way it has been designed to present the relationships. But yes, what we uh, as Robbie, uh, repository, repository people are responsible for architecting common metadata or information nuggets in repositories. 
So how yes. do we convert to common vocabulary about ontologies? So that we take the minimum that we need to put in the repository to begin with. Okay, Ravi, yes, I, I would open that up immediately to uh, uh, Evan Wallace, um, who is in, uh, you know, represents uh, some of the OMG efforts, and then also Bruce uh, Bargmeier. And then everyone Thank else uh, obviously can comment. Hello, this is Evan. Thank you, Evan. You can hear me? Okay. Um, I guess I actually had a similar question. I mean, I thought that was a very good question, and I was going to ask something similar to Farouk. Um, because I mean, ODM uh, supports essentially multiple meta models for ontology languages, but to do some of the kinds of querying that some of these people talked about, for instance, what uh, Mike Dean talked about, you would need to have some kind of linking of the different elements of the different uh, meta models. Say, if you want, had a repository that had both CL content, base content, and L content, you might want to be able to search over both. Um, so that 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 represents a pretty big challenge for any sort of ontology repository. Uh. Very good, very good comment, Evan. Just a little sequel to the same is that, yes, I agree that, but to make that happen, it would be some kind of application sitting on top of the repository. It would not be a functionality of the repository. Repository is a storehouse which correctly maintains for a given ontology all artifacts, relationships, objects, uh, multiply connected relationships, etc. It's like a list, uh, but intelligent list. So it allows the ontology engine of a given ontology, which you just mentioned a couple of them, to construct it on the fly using the repository as you use the database. Yes, uh, Ravi, uh, let's open up uh, to additional questioners here. Um, yeah. uh, Peter, I don't know who else is on the phone who's raised their hand. Uh, I, this is Bargmeier. I might make a little comment on that last one. I, I do agree that it's up to the registry to register uh, these semantic artifacts, whatever they may be. Uh, ontologies is the focus now, but I think uh, there's lots of things like taxonomies and tissue that pretty much maintain that structure and assert themselves to be ontologies these days. Uh, so that uh, the, the hard part is establishing what of each of those things that needs to be registered and how to record that registration and version it and so on. And then there's a variety of search capabilities that can be built uh, on top of that. So I'm pretty much agreeing with what was, uh, was said, but I, uh, I think that the work that XMDR has been doing, especially with 1179, is troubling very hard about what things need to be registered in order to be able to do that. Uh, thanks, Bruce. I guess uh, one of the issues is uh, quality uh, versus reuse, uh, which I think uh, Mike also raised as a as a notion here, right? So, in other words, uh, you know, what we have to gauge is not just mappings, but uh, uh, the things that we're mapping to, in some sense. Okay, Leo. 
to answer your question, there are two people who have, have had their hands up for quite a long time on the, okay, yeah, on the so phone. Uh, you, if you're looking at the share screen, you can see them now. The first person is from a 301 area code, number ending 68674. So if you unmute yourself, the next person in line is the person from 650, uh, 650 number uh, ending in 5264. Uh, 0274, I'm sorry. So the 301 person. Um, and this is Fabian Neuhaus. Um, I had a question uh, about the mapping thing, but I think the discussion moved on, so I will just contact Mark about that and give this email. Thank you. Right. So, this, uh, next person, the person from 0274 uh, number. Uh, if you do a star three to unmute yourself and speak up. Person from. Hi, uh, this is Mala Mehrotra here. Oh. And, and um, yeah, I've been listening to some of these uh, discussions, and I had a couple of questions for, uh, especially for Mark, because he had um, talked more about the mapping, and uh, also for Michelle. Uh, so uh, the domain and scope uh, issues that uh, you raised are very interesting issues that uh, I've been looking at, and uh, I found that uh, uh, recently in my work I've been forced to be to use um, CL, common logic, to represent those sort of mappings. And uh, I can talk to you offline about that. But my question about uh, to Mark has been that um, in doing these mappings, uh, how much effort is required um, in finding where the mappings are? Because nobody has raised that issue yet. Uh, it's all about representing mappings um, and, and finding the infrastructure for for um, for doing the representation, but 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 finding the mappings, I feel, are quite a challenge, isn't it? Absolutely, and so the answer to your question really is uh, it depends. Uh, there are a variety of, of strategies that the prompt tool uses to propose mappings to a user. Uh, lexical matches between terms and in, in, in uh, concept definitions. Uh, looking at local graph structure as a way of trying to suggest that two nodes in the graph putatively could be the same concept and therefore be mapped. Uh, there are a number of heuristics that uh, prompt entails that uh, allow that to, ha to take place. And, of course, one of the things that really facilitates the process is once a user starts to confirm that mappings are actually legitimate, then that narrows the search space and makes prompt much more efficient in identifying future mappings. Uh, Natasha has a paper that was in the International Journal of Human Computer Studies about two years ago that provides a very comprehensive overview of prompt. Um, but the ultimate issue here is that we're dealing with much more than just syntax, we're dealing with semantics, and uh, there's, uh, yeah. there's really no way to automate that process in a way that will make it such that uh, you can take a human out of the loop uh, who would otherwise be necessary to verify that the mappings are appropriate. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very aware of Natasha's work, and uh, uh, thank you for pointing that out. But, uh, yeah, the issues are deeper than just uh, looking at the uh, syntax. And Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And we need... Uh, perhaps more discussion on those issues as well sometime. Yeah. Uh, for Mala and others, there's, there's quite a bit of work going on in automated ontology matching with sort of increasing success, I guess, I would say, uh, including an annual uh, 
workshop and, and competition among tools. So uh, if you look at ontologymatching.org, uh, yeah, there's yeah. some of those efforts. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of that too, yeah. But uh, most of them are not dealing more uh, with the semantics so much. It's still well, there. Uh, uh, it might be a good idea to actually have you present some of your work at a future uh, Ontolog uh, telecom. Sure, I'd love to do that. Um, the only thing I, I wanted to clarify uh, with Peter was some of these uh, issues with, uh, uh, you know, not not being able to talk about your, uh, you know, tool or anything like that. And, and that's why I have refrained from offering this uh, um, to the community, but but uh, I'll clarify those issues, and I would be happy to present. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah to, to, to clarify on that, Mala, Mala, uh, uh, we make waivers on the IPR uh, restriction quite frequently, especially for example during in the, the for example during the last uh, database and ontology series, we brought in. Oracle people, the top quadrant people, and so on. So yeah. uh, I think the earlier there was a sort of uh, ontology application uh, call for people uh, who would be interested to present. I mean, even if they have like proprietary work to to okay. propose. But I think it, we ended up only have, having one person uh, showing interest. And in oh, I, I didn't know about it. So. Um, that's okay. Whenever the time is convenient, I'd be willing to present. No problem. Yes. Okay. Good. good. Thank you. Uh, we're 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 drawing short here. Um, what I'd like to do is um, see if there's any other, you know, questions queued up here that uh, I can't see. I, I'm looking at the chat line. Uh, I'd really like to to get Peter's uh, question that's on there answered. He's got the question for what can the OOR deliver at the summit face-to-face workshop. I think that's a beautiful question. And if we have to have that, that would be a great wrap-up question. Right. Thank you. Yes, I, I think it's, it's such a rare opportunity to, to have, I mean, some of the major stakeholders uh, sort of at this bake-off, as, as Mark calls it, and and uh and we have sort of a lot of the participants who who uh could contribute so let's talk i mean we've got like maybe seven or eight weeks to april 28th uh what can we do uh of course uh as of now already i mean there are pieces that could i mean i i guess almost anyone who presented this morning can can say I mean give me your ontology it will be up on the web in a persistent manner tomorrow almost but but as a group uh, what can we do together to to make something really interesting that's worth the while of of this I would say very stellar group. Uh, well, this is Leo. I, I don't know if we can do this in the short time that we have, but if we had a uh, uh, a declarative mechanism for you know for for uh, defining mappings between ontologies. Uh, I think that would be very useful. I mean that that is sort of like phase four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just <sorry>. kidding. But <laughs> pretty far <laughs> off. Yes. Right, right, right. Like, can, can we do like a phase one or maybe phase one point one for 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 April twenty eighth? Uh, Peter, 
Ravi here. Yes. Um, can we do? I like the idea of phase one. I also like the idea of the overall. But can we at least have a small subgroup or some people giving input through email as to what are the minimum attributes uh, required for an ontology, and especially with emphasis to repository artifacts? so that we can start thinking of applying some of the standards that people have presented today and technologies that people have presented today. Uh, I am sure I'm that by April 28th we don't have a design and working repository, but if we have a few architecturally possible views, it would give inputs of value to the summit uh, the interoperation between ontologies is a question above phase one. And mapping would be part of that. Phase two probably. Yeah, probably. I heard, I heard a couple of things that might be intractable. One is to present some, uh, architectures and the other is to present some ideas as to what, uh, needs to be registered, uh, in, uh, a registry. And I think that uh, XMDR could uh, provide some input on, on both of those fronts. Okay, good. Yes. Okay. Can, can I make a comment? Uh, for, for those who, who, I mean, most of the people here probably already realize it, but, but since we have a few people who weren't at earlier OOR meetings or at the uh, this summit launch, I, I would try to repeat it. We have two parallel efforts. One is a discussion effort, which essentially can be put, uh, as, as Frank described, put under the Ontology Summit online discourse. Uh, that is a, a sort of discussion group, a, 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 a discourse. And then we have a working group, which I would hope, I mean, personally, that uh, would actually be do, uh, doing something and have something to show. Uh, and for those who are on the OR team, uh, Mike has already told everyone that the next meeting is on Wednesday, which would be March 5th. And, of course, at March 5th, I think uh, the, uh, the the question of what we are bringing to the uh, to the face-to-face workshop would definitely be discussed. And also uh, another major point of discussion is uh, funding. Uh, are we putting together teams to, to, to work on funding or work on grant proposals and and so on. So, so these are very practical, pragmatic, and, and non-sort of uh, discourse-type issues that the, the working group has, has to deal with. So, so the I the OOR initiative, the OR initiative, right? Not not the OR initiative. The, the, the discussion would be the summit initiative. And since Michael uh, Gruninger is is here, and Michael and Pat Hayes actually has a, a, a are championing a discussion on what what have been uh, typed as ontology of ontologies, essentially uh, I mean capturing the metadata and the relationships of I mean what needs to characterize the ontologies. So maybe Mike, you can tell us. Uh, with it, what are the plans in your head now for, for that 
uh, threat of discussion, possibly. He might have dropped. I don't know. Right. Okay. We will skip. Uh, Mike. Peter, what yes. time is that uh, teleconference on March fifth? Mike, uh, what what time is it? And I definitely hope uh, all the panelists from today could be there because I mean, one of the major topics definitely would be how could we mix and match and merge. I mean, all these great efforts into something that that could be delivered in short order, uh, even if it's a pilot or some proof of uh, a concept prototype or something. Okay. I have noon like, as well. Okay, <laughs> noon is correct. Uh, noon, noon Eastern, right? So nine a.m. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pacific. Okay. What's, what's the du- what's the duration? Supposed to be one hour, one to one and a half. Uh, can we post that? Uh, make that yes, available. Yes, I'll be sending out reminders. But but again, I mean, for for those of you who are interested, please make sure you subscribe to the list. I mean, there's an OOR forum list, which are for the working group members, and then there's an ontology summit list, which are for the discourse. So so if you're interested in both, subscribe to both. And uh, the subscription details are on today's uh, session page. If you just uh, read through the, uh, the, the page, there somewhere. And, Peter, you've got me on both, right, Frank? I believe so, yes. Okay, okay folks, I think uh, we're, we, we want to try to wrap up here. Um, uh, any last comments, uh, discussions, questions that haven't been asked? I see Michelle's hand is still raised. Uh, Michelle, can you do star three on your phone? Well, my I guess my question was uh, if anyone, if the panelists wanted to give us what they see as a showstopper or pet research question that must be addressed to really make a big useful difference and impact feasibility impact on ontology repository. This is Mark. I'll I'll take a go. And I I think the issue was raised by one of the speakers earlier, and that is we can create these great repositories, but unless there's some mechanism for ontology evaluation that will guide users to know what's good and what's useful, uh, we're just going to be creating large repositories that may not be terribly valuable to people. And I think uh, we know that we can't really evaluate ontologies by inspection of them in a static sense. And uh, we know that um, being able to evaluate them in the context of use is important but very difficult to do. I think really the, the, the one of the principal challenges is going to be developing mechanisms by which not only can we uh, store ontologies in some archive but have a mechanism to understand what they're good for. Uh, yeah, just just Barb, I take a, a shot too. I think that uh, life cycle, both the life cycle of data and the life cycle of uh, ontologies, you might say a life cycle of semantics, uh, is something that needs a lot of work uh, because uh, there's lots of change in these semantic structures, and uh, we have to find a way to be able to keep track of that and roll it forward. Uh, and that Mark had mentioned that that's a that's a problem for them. It's, it's a problem all the way across the board. 
Now, Peter, interjecting, this is Leo. Uh, life cycle maintenance might be a good topic at the summit. Okay. Uh, uh, Peter here, uh, I'll take a crack at uh, this Michelle's question. Uh, what I see is also, I mean, besides what uh, Mark and, and Bruce have already mentioned, is that uh, once showstopper is if people were to go out and do their own repositories and end up sort of uh, having all these repositories not talking to each other, uh, that I think would be the worst that could happen. But I would the the OR effort and the summit effort has been most encouraging because I mean, the participation has been great, uh, despite the fact that we don't have. Uh, a huge uh, uh, EU or Asian uh, participation. We have, I mean, uh, uh, for example, uh, John Bateman here, and then uh, we, if you look down the roster, I mean, there, there are others I mean, from different parts of the world too. I hope uh, the the summit would provide the platform that we can get all the people who are doing similar work to at least put their heads together. And, I mean, they, they, they could sort of end up agreeing to federate, but at least agree to some form that means that, I mean, all these uh, repositories will end up being able to talk to one another. This is Mike Dean. <laughs> I, I was going to mention federation as well. Peter beat me to it. But uh, uh, I think there are a lot of reasons why people want to use um, the some of their own environments, basically, for ontology development, and particularly being able to link into some of the newer collaborative ontology development um, uh, environments, uh, like uh, like Canoodle, for instance. Now, this is for um, uh, agreeing with everything said so far, and uh, I was going to mention federation as well. Uh, one one other uh, area that I think is quite important uh, is uh, that of governance and uh, how to make sure that uh, there are well-defined policies that are enforced at various uh, steps in the workflow chain in the collab collaborative ontology development process. Thank you all. So back to Leo or Frank. Okay, yes. Uh, these are all valid points and uh, we're, we're hoping that they're all going to be, you know, uh, elucidated over over the next few weeks, uh, culminating in the summit. Um, do we have any final issues? Uh, otherwise, I think we need to sign off. Thank you, Leo and, and Frank. Great session. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for participating in this and the speakers, too. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. The moderator has disconnected.